the Injury Finder has finally landed in the App Store on Google Play. Go get it. You won't be sorry. This is the decision point with Anand and Dury. And Anand, since we last talked about the Patriots, uh, Peter King was visiting practice. And Peter King noticed, oh, first day of camp, look who's running with the ones. It's Ramondre Stevenson jumping to conclusions. Well, that must mean that it's the Ramondre Stevenson show in New England this year. Watch his ADP pass Damian Harris's in the night. It's going to happen on Underdog Fantasy. Check it out. Underdog Fantasy, promo code UNDERWORLD. You deposit 100, you get 100. Best Ball Mania is happening right now. $10 million in prizes. $10 million in prizes. And my guess is when you join Best Ball Mania 2, no one in this audience is going to get Ramondre Stevenson because most people in this audience are reticent to draft Patriots running backs unless they're a value, unless they're in the double digit rounds. It may be that you can't get. Ramondre Stevenson because of Peter King. Thanks a lot, buddy. Dropping that big <laughs> nugget bomb, that mini camp, training camp, preseason nugget bomb that we love. And you can't get Damian Harris because he's benefiting from totally unsustainable touchdown scoring last year, fueling his ADP, keeping him inside the top 100. It could be that the only Patriots running back we're drafting at all is Pierre Strong. What do you think? So my assumption is that Ramondre will pass Damian ADP-wise, especially on things like underdog best ball where you can afford to take more of those risks, right? But when we're talking redraft, dynasty, anything that you need to have some kind of sustained success out of any of them, we tend to avoid them because the range of outcomes is so wide. On a weekly basis, the range of outcomes is so wide. That's why Ramondre Stevenson is absolutely a best ball target. He's been my best ball target in the Patriots' backfield all offseason for sure because he's going to have spike weeks. He's going to have a couple games where he scores multiple touchdowns or he catches five passes and breaks tackles and puts up like 70 receiving yards, five catches, a bunch of rushing yards, add a touchdown. That's a spike week for Andre Stevenson, but then there's going to be other weeks where – the veteran who's been reliable and the de facto starter for years, Damian Harris, is going to get 40% of the touches. Whoever's running with the ones in the day that Peter King happened to be there, whatever. Yeah. Damian Harris is going to be used. There's going to be a healthy usage rate for both players, including Pierre Strong, will also be active and at least out there in some passing downs, and this is classic Bill Belichick, classic Patriots backfield. You know what you're getting in a traditional league. This is very important. This shows your savvy that you would understand this nuance so well that in best ball, draft Stevenson, draft Harris, but in particular, go for strong. In seasonal leagues, strong is really the only one I'm drafting late just to sprinkle that upside on my bench where I'm stockpiling running backs in traditional leagues at the end of drafts. In best ball, I'm stockpiling 
wide receivers. So I'm more apt to draft a running back in, say, round eight on underdog, promo code underworld, than I would, say, in a traditional league with my buddies, where in round eight, I'm probably targeting wide receiver or tight end, knowing I'm going to back the truck up at running back in round 10 and beyond. Yeah, and I think the the logic there is sound. Um, Obviously, strong is the flyer, right? If anything happens to Stevenson or Harris, his value at where you get him is going to absolutely smash, right? And we know about how running backs get used and how often they get injured. Like, at some point, Pierre Strong is going to get a crack. And that's really all you need, right? In all these backfield committees, Elijah Mitchell needed an opportunity. That's, that's really all he needed. And then absolutely ran away with that job. I think you could see something similar here. But, like like we've said, it's New England. So whatever they do in one week, the next week is going to be totally different. We have no idea. There are much more best ball targets than they are dynasty or redraft targets. It just is what it is. But obviously, Strong is worth that flyer late in drafts because, honestly, he's going to be off of most people's boards. New England's backfield is not pretty. It's not fun to draft. But there's value. And I I do agree. Strong is a late draft target just for the upside. Yeah, Pierre Strong is a target just like James White's been a target in previous years. James White's had top 20 seasons. Deion Lewis was a top five running back in fantasy football in the second half when he seized that starting role, and that's what you're looking for. That's ideally the place to go to find and mine value in fantasy drafts from the Patriots' backfield. It's the least expensive guy with some upside if things break his way. Damian Harris wasn't bad last year. Now, his fantasy points per game... 14.0, completely unsustainable because when you look at the expected fantasy points per game, it was 11.5. So he outperformed because he had that 6.8% touchdown rate, 15 touchdowns, as a result of the 46 red zone touches. He's not going to get that number of red zone touches. He's not going to score that number of touchdowns, period. And the expected fantasy points on playerprofiler.com gives the game away. That he was an 11.5 fantasy points per game running back last year, not a 14.0 fantasy points per game running back. That's why we were not drafting him at all at his current ADP. And it's going to be weeks. Maybe if Stevenson continues to run with the ones starting preseason games, perhaps, then Harris falls outside the top 100, then you can justify drafting him in all formats. But we have a ways to go. And Pierre Strong is the best value across all formats. Now, we need to talk about the AFC North. That's going to be the focus today. And I'm guessing, let's see, if I had to think about it, I'm guessing the team that you want to talk about first, hmm, who would it be, Anand? Would it be, would it be the, uh, would it be the Cincinnati Bengals, perhaps? Might be. It might be. Might be. And... When you look at this team, right? Yeah, there's a lot that broke right. Any team that makes the Super Bowl, we've gone over this before. Any team that makes the Super Bowl requires luck. It requires injury luck. It requires injury luck on your side, potential injury luck on the other side. It requires a lot of things to break your way in order to just make the Super Bowl. But they did it, right? We watched them hang on for dear life at home, first home playoff game. 
against Derek Carr and the Raiders. Then we watched them go into Tennessee and take out the Titans after Burrow was sacked nine times. Then we watched them erase a 21-3 deficit. Watch the film on that yesterday. That was a doozy, right? And then they came an Aaron Donald miracle away from a runaway Super Bowl touchdown, right? Like So when you think about this team, the question that you have is, is that sustainable? The answer is no. Nothing about any team is sustainable year to year on that level when that many things have to break your way, right? It's why they're not the betting favorite to walk out of the AFC again. It's why they weren't last year. But there was one glaring weakness on this team, and we knew it from start to finish, and it's the reason that all the money poured in on the Rams, and it's the reason that money poured in on the Chiefs and money poured in on the Titans against them, and it's the offensive line. We knew that they had... Whoa, 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 whoa. I just pulled up Caesar's Sportsbook, promo code PODFATHER15. Uh, whoa, whoa. The Bengals are not merely behind the Buffalo Bills in the odds to win the AFC. They're behind the Chiefs, which I understand the Chiefs have a, a long track record. Years with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid being in the mix to win the AFC. Vegas believes the Bengals have a lesser chance than the Broncos. Wow. Yeah. Wow, the Bengals are plus 1,100. The Broncos are only plus 850. Vegas loves the Broncos, but they love the Chargers even more. The Chargers are plus 800. So we're talking about the Bills, the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Broncos all have odds making them more favored to win the AFC than the Bengals. The Bengals are actually closer to the Browns. Which is insane. The Browns are plus 1,300. The Colts are plus 1,300. The Ravens are plus 1,300. How is this possible? I don't understand it. I don't get it at all. Here's why. The one glaring weakness of this team was offensive line. So, as teams never, ever do, they never, ever acknowledge what the fans see and what we see it's always minor move here, minor move here, minor move here. No, no, no. They did the exact opposite. In the total opposite of traditional Cincinnati Bengal thinking, they went out and signed Lyle Collins. They signed Alex Kappa, Ted Karras. So you have replaced the three worst individual starters on your football team with potential All-Pro, former All-Pro, former All-Pro. Crazy. I mean, talk about the the most well-executed upgrade of a weak point for an NFL team. Maybe ever. Like, Matt, they found three Pro Bowl caliber players to address three desperate positions of need and didn't overpay for any of them. It, didn't they lure Kappa away from Tom Brady? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a thing that happened? That's a thing that happened. Didn't they lure Ted Karras away from Mac Jones and Bill Belichick? Yeah. And Ted Karras could have gone to Brady, too. But Karras is like, no, 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 I'm not going to go to Brady. I'm not going to stay with Belichick. I'm going to Burrow. They're going to Burrow Town. All it takes is one year to completely reshape what we think about a team, not just in their fan sense, right, but as a whole. The Bengals were a joke. 
going into last year, I need we need to reiterate this. Going into last season, the Cincinnati Bengals had the same odds to win the Super Bowl as the New York Jets. They are now plus 1,100. They were plus 25,000 last year. That's where we are. They're also plus 175 to win the AFC North. And in my opinion, that feels low. It feels low because we're anticipating other things are going to happen within this division. Pittsburgh is going to win some games that they shouldn't, but they're not going to be ultra competitive. This is very strange. So there's some sort of inefficiency going on here because I think the 175 is good. Like I think that that is an efficient line. The Bengals are plus 1,100 to win the AFC, plus 175 to win their division. The Browns are plus 1,300 to win the AFC, but they're plus 400 to win their division. Which is insane. Meanwhile, the Ravens are plus 1,300 to win the AFC and only plus 125 to win the division. The weirdness is easily solved, knowing that once Deshaun Watson arrives, well... Once you have Deshaun Watson in the playoffs, what Vegas is saying is the Browns have the same odds or or close to the same odds of making the Super Bowl as the Ravens and the Bengals. It's just that because of these games with Jacoby Brissett, the odds the Browns actually win the division are much lower. So what you could bet on if you were betting on the Browns here to win the division, which I think is the best bet here, that the Browns stick and move, juke and jab when Jacoby Brissett is under center and they win some games with Jacoby Brissett under center, that's how you would be able to cash that ticket. Yeah. And that's very possible with a run-first offense and a quality defense. That's very possible. that Yeah. You could look up and let's say Deshaun Watson's suspended six games, right? It's going to be a range of two to eight. Let's go six. That's my guess. Six games. They go three and three with Jacoby Brissett. They can easily win that division. Yeah. And I mean, the entire question that you have to ask yourself right is did the Browns do enough to close that gap and the major question mark with this team essentially was will the defense come together last year I believe they did and will they get any kind of consistent quarterback play and the thing is with Brissett he's not spectacular he's not going to have the highs that Baker at right he's not going to throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns against the Bengals he's not going to do that it's just not his game But he's going to give you 250, two touchdowns and a pick every single game. You're not going to get the implosions that you got with Baker from time to time. So if your team is good enough, which I think the Browns definitely are, he's probably a better quarterback than Baker is to get you through that early stretch until you get to Watson and suddenly the ceiling on that team explodes. Let's stay with the Bengals for a moment. The only question that anybody has is what's going on with Jesse Bates. And to answer that question, you've got to go deep, deep, deep into the thought process and philosophy of not only the Brown family and the Bengals, but any small market team in the NFL. Everyone is addressing the, oh, we don't have the cap space for him. No, that's not true. The Bengals absolutely have the cap space for Bates. They have the cap space for whoever they want to pay. That's not the problem. The problem for the Bengals is as soon as you guarantee money in a contract now in the CBA, that cash goes to escrow. The Bengals don't have a salary cap problem. They have a cash flow problem. Nobody in LA or in Dallas, if you're Stan Kroenke or if you're Jerry Jones, 
you're not worried about cash going to escrow. The Brown family fundamentally cannot spend money at that level. And people in Cincinnati think that it means that they're cheap. They're not. They literally cannot afford to do that. So when you look at contract structures from the Bengals, typically they only fully guarantee year one, maybe year one and a half, unless you're a quarterback. And Jesse Bates is going to want the money that he justly deserves, but they had to plan for life after that. So you look at what Duke Tobin did, right? First round pick. All right, we may lose Jesse Bates. Let's go get Daxton Hill, right? Is he Jesse Bates? No, no one is. He's a top three safety in the league, if you ask me. Jesse Bates is. But you're going to pay Daxton Hill $2 million. You're going to pay Jesse Bates 24 At some point, the Bengals have to save the cash to pay Higgins, to pay Chase, to pay Burrow. And this is the cost of doing business as a small market team is your fans are going to call you cheap because you don't have the cash to guarantee into year two and three of these deals to send to escrow immediately. And it's not a salary cap problem. It's the, This is the fundamental misunderstanding about people when they're like, oh, we don't have cap space. No, no, no. The Bengals have cap space. That is not the problem here. The problem is the Bengals cannot put the cash in escrow for Jesse Bates' contract and then come back and do Chase Higgins Burrow at all. It's not possible. It will not work. We know what that looks like, and it's why they've only ever guaranteed the front end of a contract. It's why they don't do a bunch of crazy void year shit like they do in New Orleans, like they do in L.A., like they do elsewhere. It's because they can't, right? And that's not a function of them being cheap. They just don't have the money. So when Jesse Bates does not take the field this year as a Cincinnati Bengal, understand that it's not because they don't have the cap space. It's because they don't have the money. And fundamentally, what they're saying to you right now is we would rather have and pay T. Higgins than Jesse Bates. And they're right. But how do we know it's because they don't have the cash and they're not cheap? Because they've done this for every contract that's not quarterback for the last 25 years. They have not guaranteed money into year three of a contract other than a quarterback in the last 20 to 25 years. And the thing is, they're willing to spend in free agency, but only because they front load into year one. This is how they've operated for years and years and years. And it's been misunderstood as the front office being cheap. Guys, if your front office is cheap, you're not signing free agents. And the Bengals have been signing free agents. It's very simply, when the time comes to extend mega stars that Cincinnati has. They just don't have the cash to do it. You can't put $180 million in escrow casually if you're the Bengals. If you're the if you're Jerry Jones, if you're Stan Kroenke, if you have if you are a multi multi-billionaire, that's not a problem for you. If you're the Bengals, it is a problem for you. And so it's not the front office being cheap and it's not management doing the wrong thing. They simply cannot afford to keep Bates, keep Burrow, keep Higgins, keep Chase. And those three together are probably more important than extending Jesse Bates's. And that's why the offer was somewhat insulting. It's not that they don't value him. It's not that they don't know how good he is. It's very simply, this is what we can afford to pay you. Is this why the Packers are also in the top 10 in salary cap space currently? Is this a challenge the Packers have that they're a community-owned organization? I don't think it's necessarily that as much, but... I think they, they had their annual shareholder meeting. I think they had somewhere in the range of $450, $500 million in, in cash to use for whatever. Oh. It's not 
it's not necessarily that on their end, right? Because the people of Green Bay are going to come up and support that team. Anybody that's a Green Bay Packers fan can tell you. It's a really special place to be. I've never had the privilege of going, hopefully, this year. Um, but it's one of those things where people support that team so, so, so much, right, that they're never going to run out of cash in the way that a Cincinnati could because when the product on the field isn't there for Cincinnati, the cash flow dries up to an extent, right? People are still consuming. People are still going to come to the tailgates. People are still going to go to the games. They're just not spending money on the things that Cincinnati needs them to spend money on over and over and over and over and over again. Corporate partnerships, all the other stuff that drives revenue for these teams. This AFC Championship Super Bowl run for the Bengals might be the single most important revenue driver season for a team that I've ever seen. And this is also why if you are a fan of a franchise, you should be rooting for a mega billionaire to take it over. Yeah. 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 Because as these contracts escalate, right, especially quarterback. See, Matt, here's the thing. Based on the contract that the Browns gave to Sean Watson, maybe 40 to 50% of NFL teams could even afford to do that. Maybe 60%, whatever the case is. You've alienated 40% of your audience immediately, not because of the price per year, but because of the amount of cash that you had to immediately throw to escrow to even offer that contract to somebody, right? Therein lies the problem, right? If if your goal long-term is to compete at the highest level, you want the richest owner you can get. And it's not because the salary cap is constraining you. It's because your cash flows are. Yeah, and when Daxton Hill was drafted, Jesse Bates needed to know that hey, they're they're being real with me. Oh yeah, right. And and I think I think the the night the the shittiest part about this whole situation is Jesse Bates should be a Bengal, and in five years when they've gotten the revenue and when they've driven the market up, so to speak, in Cincinnati on Burrow and Chase and Higgins, once they've had sustained success, they probably could pay him five years from now it's just we're in 2022 and they don't have the money to do it which really really sucks but they did the right thing they didn't insult him with an offer that they couldn't meet they were straight up with him and told him exactly what was going down they drafted his replacement let him know hey if you've got to go you've got to go yeah i mean they addressed the secondary in the draft with daxon hill and cam taylor Britt. love that pick as well as an edge rusher and Zachary Carter, and then address the offensive line, knowing that that was urgent immediately in free agency. I mean, Kappa and Karras to solidify the interior was great. And then Lyle Collins is a, was the upside tackle available in free agency. If they can get just one good year out of him, that's a home run. That's a complete rejuvenation of the entire offensive line. Look, they're in the window. We've talked about this ad nauseum. When your quarterback is still on the rookie contract, you're in the window. And all you need to do is hire mercenaries. And if they can get Jesse Bates to be a mercenary for a year, do it. Do it. Pay him whatever. But this is the time, right? Like They were a snap away from winning the Super Bowl. That is as open as a Super Bowl window will ever get. At this moment, they should be doing exactly what Buffalo is doing, which is we don't care what it costs if we have the money, sign them, right? They did it with Von Miller. The Bengals are telling you they're doing the same thing, and they're ready. Look, every move that they made this offseason 
is an upgrade in some way other than trading Jesse Bates for Daxton Hill if that is indeed what ends up happening, right? Every other move, you're sitting there going, yeah, that's an upgrade. Yeah, that's an upgrade. Yeah, that's an upgrade. And far more importantly, when we started talking about this last year, they retained Tyler Boyd, right? Their tight end situation, arguably, arguably, in Hayden Hurst, may or may not have improved. We don't know, right? And you still have Chase Higgins Burrow in now in year three for for Higgins and Burrow, and year two for Jamar Chase, who just had the best rookie season anyone has ever seen. Look at these odds to win the conference. I mean, plus 300 for the Bills. This is insane. Versus plus 1,100 on Caesars Sportsbook, promo code PODFATHER15. For the Bengals, I mean, it's just, this is saying that the books believe the Bills have a greater than three times the probability of winning the conference as the Bengals. When the Bengals, I mean, they just won the conference and they've addressed their greatest areas of need. Final question. You keep saying Burrow, Chase, Higgins, Burrow, Chase, Higgins. It sounds to me like it's not even a lock that Higgins will be re-signed. That if you believe that Hill is the safety valve draft pick to potentially replace Bates, just in case they can't re-sign Bates, they probably know they can't re-sign Bates, could you look at Chase as being that as well? That by drafting Chase, that was insurance on the possibility they can't re-sign T. Higgins? Could it be that they offer T. Higgins an extension that he finds insulting? So here's a really fun part for you. Higgins and Jesse Bates have the same agent. So yes, I do think that is possible, that T. Higgins would turn down the offer from the Bengals. That being said, I think they drafted Jamar Chase with the understanding that we're going all offense. We'll let Lou figure out the defense, and he did. He did. I want to make this very clear. As great as the offense was down the stretch last year, the Bengals' defense got them a win at home against the Raiders with a last-minute pick, saved their asses against Tennessee when they had Joe Burrow sacked nine times and he played a really bad, objectively bad game and won, saved them down 21-3 against Kansas City. Just turned the Chiefs' offense into the off position. Literally turned them into dust. Kansas City scored to go up 21-3 and did not score another touchdown the last 40 minutes of the game at home. At home. Like, they got the ball first in overtime and lost. And they drafted a bunch of defensive guys. And they drafted a bunch of defensive guys. Look, there are multiple ways to win, but ultimately at the end of the day, if your defensive coordinator can take what he has and suffocate an offense like that, you're going to have a chance against anybody and everybody. And I'm looking at their schedule right now on the draft kit. The draft kit has the schedule, the world-famous draft kit on playerprofiler.com. And we put a little red next to the most difficult schedules. And other than the Jets, the Falcons, that's it. (laughs) It's like they have two easy games, the Jets and the Falcons. Yeah. That's it. The rest of it is, you know, Cowboys, Ravens, Saints, Browns, Panthers, Titans, Chiefs. Browns, Buccaneers, Patriots, Bills, Ravens. That's why <laughs> That's why when you look at who's the likely winner of the AFC North, 
the books have the Ravens over the Bengals. And I don't think that's unfair. It's a schedule thing, right? And Cincinnati or and Baltimore until their health fell apart, week 11, number 1 seed in the AFC. They didn't make the playoffs, but look, there's a lot to like there. But I want to pivot back to what you were talking about in Cleveland. And we've talked about Watson before. But I think that something needs to be addressed here that they haven't that we haven't really talked about yet. They're just replacing pieces with pieces. And this is what you do when you think you're a Super Bowl caliber team. Let Jarvis Landry go. We'll sign Amari Cooper. Sixth round pick. Don't care. Don't need it. Whatever. We'll trade the next three years of our franchise's draft for Deshaun Watson. Who cares if he gets suspended a year? Why? Because we were going to have to pay Baker Mayfield $40 million. And we'd rather pay Deshaun Watson $50 million. Right? They are essentially gearing up for war in the AFC North. And I think that as much as we talk about the AFC West as this absolute gauntlet, the AFC North isn't far behind them, right? You're right. Yeah, we do. And we talked about last week, the AFC East is also vastly improved. Yeah. The AFC is just this, it's sucking all the talent from the NFC. It's like the, these conferences in the NFC keep getting easier and easier to win. Right. As like, oh, Green Bay, no more Devontae Adams. Like you just go down the board and then you, you look up at the AFC and all these teams are getting more and more stacked. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're going to win, like betting on a team to win the AFC is essentially asking them to win the war of attrition. That's really what you're betting on. If you're betting on Buffalo to win the, the conference, you think that they're going to probably be the best team and relatively the healthiest. If you're betting on Kansas City, the Chargers, whoever it is. You can't take that bet. Plus 300 on the Bills, you cannot take that bet. That's insane. You cannot take that bet because of how difficult this conference is to win, how stocked it is with talent. The Seahawks, like, hey, you guys want Russell Wilson? Like, this, just the draining of talent from the NFC to the AFC is one of the most underreported stories of this offseason in the NFL. Yeah, and look, like, the Browns have tried to make the moves that they think they needed to make. They needed more edge rusher help. They traded Mac Wilson for Chase Winovich. Uh, they let go of J.C. Treader, which I think is insane, but hey, like, let it be. And then they re-signed David Njoku, which immediately to me is, one, a sign that they see something that we don't see, right? Because we're looking at this athletic freak of a tight end, right, that we're waiting and waiting and waiting for that moment where we can say holy shit here he is right and I think that a big part of them resigning him was the understanding that whether it's Brissett or Watson they just didn't have the assets to go acquire a true number two wide receiver to pair with Amari Cooper let's resign Joku and essentially use him the way that we would have used a Jarvis Landry or the way that we would have used a Cole Beasley had we signed him so I think that you may see that usage increase in a big way and obviously they didn't have you know major draft capital this year they had a couple of nice additions that I liked but the arrow on Cleveland is pointed firmly in the direction of what you think happens with Watson because Jacoby Brissett will win you games he will he will he's not going to lose you any games there, there's not going to be a game where you're like, oh, Jacoby was a disaster. We lost that game. That's not going to happen. If the Browns lose games with Jacoby Brissett, they're going to be games that they probably should lose with a basically league average quarterback. 
what they're betting on essentially this year, if you bet the Browns, is that Watson will come back at some point and turn into 2019-2020 Deshaun Watson, who led the league in passing yards with Brandon Cooks as his number one. Like, we're it's easy to forget how good he really is because of the off-field transgressions and the fact that we haven't seen him in almost two years. When he was on the field, Deshaun Watson was talked about in that Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen class of quarterback before all of this went down. Don't lose sight of who he is as a football player because Deshaun Watson, the football player, absolutely opens a Super Bowl window for the Browns. Let's look at the schedule. World-famous draft kit. Check out the strength of schedule window on the Browns. Unlocking Deshaun Watson, that's the signature trend. But when you look at the schedule, it's at Carolina, then the Jets, and the Steelers, and the Falcons. And then they got home games against the Chargers and the Patriots. They could win one of those home games just because it's a home game, and they get some turnovers, or they have an efficient day rushing, whatever it is. They have some breakaway runs from Nick yeah. Chubb. So there's a path to win one of those home games in week five or six, and they could start the season 4-0. and So with Jacoby Brissett, so the more I look at this, the more I look at these odds on Caesars Sportsbook, promo code PODFATHER15, the more I like the Browns at plus 400 to be the division winner. Because I think the juice built in on Baltimore is too much. Oh, the, right? the, the odds on Baltimore don't make sense. I mean, plus 125. Yeah. What? Yeah. It is nice that we can just dismiss the Steelers, right? Okay, we know the Steelers aren't winning the division. Oh, that's fine. Okay, it's down to these three teams. Now let's look at their schedules and how it aligns with the personnel in those weeks. Ah, there's some value there. It's certainly not with the Ravens. No. Yeah, if you're looking at division winner. I think I go Browns. If you're looking at AFC champion odds from this division, we go Bengals. Yep. And my hope is that the arrival of Deshaun Watson, and this is discussed in the in the uh, team insights in the world famous draft kit at length, could tilt the offensive philosophy that the pass rate goes up because hello, we know Deshaun Watson gives us the best chance to win. Deshaun Watson passes help us better than Nick Chubb runs. And we know that the Browns have a robust analytics department, and they are certainly going to be sending messages to the coaching staff with probability breakdowns, just like they do in baseball. The manager gets a comprehensive report as to what's the optimal number of pitches that every pitcher should throw that game. Here's what the analytics are telling you, helping you inform your strategy with how you approach the game today. The Browns do that as well as anybody right now in the NFL. And the message is going to be sent to the coaching staff loud and clear that Deshaun Watson gives us the best chance to win football games. So knock it off with the run-first offense. Yeah, I mean, they were much like Cincinnati was playing with one arm behind its back most of the last year because of the interior offensive line was so bad. Cleveland for the last year was playing with one arm tied behind its back because their quarterback literally had one shoulder, right? Like as much as they were run first in 2020 when they had all the success, they went even more run heavy in 2021 because their quarterback couldn't throw out of necessity. 
where we anticipated, right, that they might even lean more into the pass game as Baker had another year in the system, so on and so forth. I think you could see the same thing with Watson. I think, you know, they're probably going to run a pretty similar offense to what they ran in 2020 for Brissett because he has two functional shoulders. And then when Watson gets out there, I think you see them open it up a little bit. I, I You know, they're... They're not going to be this run-all-the-time team. Like, there's there's a difference between a run-first team and a team that runs even when they shouldn't. And Tennessee and Cleveland are two teams that run all the time, regardless of situation, right? It's possible that changes. It is possible that changes. I think when you have a quarterback with the ceiling of a Deshaun Watson and you see some of the things that he does every day in practice, they're probably sitting there thinking, holy shit, we probably should throw the ball a little bit more even if our receivers aren't up to when we had Landry and OBJ and all these dudes. And I love their wide receiver talent configuration where you have Donovan Peoples-Jones out at X. I love Peoples-Jones as like a decoy X receiver where he can get vertical, clear out, create space underneath, and then you have Bell and Cooper playing off each other on the right-hand side. You put Cooper at Z. Cooper's like a, a quintessential Z receiver in the league where – he does the inside outside game. He can run double moves. He can, you know, run that drag route as better, you know, good as anybody. And then David Bell can work off of him, set picks for him, and they can do a lot of these crossing routes. I love that. I love those guys working off each other. I love David Bell in the slot. And I love Peoples Jones as like a low volume explosive outside X receiver, like a Kenny Galladay light. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, look, they're not going to try to be the Chargers. They're, they're not going to throw the ball all over the field and see what happens. They're still going to heavily invest in actually running the ball. Not the satellite runs that we're used to with the fly sweeps and all the shit that you see with McVay and Shanahan. It's literally, hey, let's run power right at these dudes because we've got some dudes up front. We've got a dude in the backfield. There's a difference between that and, hey, let's scheme Raheem Mostert open so he can sprint 80 yards away from people. They're going to still try to hit people in the mouth. And I think that if you do that properly, if you mesh the identity of we will smack you directly in the face with the, oh, hey, if you overcommit to the run, we still have Deshaun Watson capable of throwing this 65-yard bomb right over you. It's going to create a lot of pressure on defensive coordinators to figure out which they're going to choose, right? Because if if Peoples-Jones takes that next step, and if David Bell can be what we think he can be, if Njoku takes that next step, this offense is terrifying, especially once Watson gets inserted. Even without him, it still looks really good on paper. So I, the Cleveland offense doesn't concern me to any degree, it's more so do those players take the next step and is this something relatively transformative based on what we've seen from Cleveland in the past? And we talk about the Lions all the time. that it's, it's by far and away the best rebuild that a team has executed in the NFL in many years. And consequently, the Lions have the youngest roster in the NFL with an average age of 25.52. The second youngest roster in the NFL is... Your Cleveland Browns, just just a, a touch older than the Lions at 25.55. The Browns also have by far and away the most cap space. Why is it that they have twice as much cap space as the next team on the list, the Raiders? Is that a Deshaun Watson contract anomaly? Yeah, because it's because they pushed 
contract money into later years of that deal. So basically what they did was his base salary for year one is $1 million. And they guaranteed all of it at signing. So the signing bonus was whatever it was. I can't remember what the exact figure is, but it doesn't matter because the contract's fully guaranteed. So who gives a shit what you get at signing, right? The only time, the only reason that we talk about contract money at signing guaranteed is guaranteed money is because no contract is ever fully guaranteed other than this one. This is the unicorn. But why didn't they go out and go on an absolute crazy fanatical spending spree on one-year deals this year because the issue for them is they don't know whether or not their window is open for this year because the watson suspension looms what a conundrum right because if you spend all the money and your quarterback is jacoby Brissett, your super bowl window is firmly closed if you spend all the money and your quarterback is deshaun watson the window is wide open excellent answer Once they get the news that, let's say again, the prediction that Deshaun Watson misses six games, then they go out and they sign every possible free agent that could help them to a one-year deal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see them going on the spending spree because why not, right? And obviously, you're asking a lot of a guy year one in a new system, but we saw the last two Super Bowl champs quarterback year one of a system. The tide's turning, right? It's not taking guys as long to figure this stuff out because they've done all of this stuff before. As the college football game starts to permeate through the NFL the way that we've seen it the last 5, 10 years, right? It's taking guys less time to pick up stuff because it's either something that's on college, it's something that they watched on film, they've seen it before. It's no longer this is one game, this is another. The NFL has become an extension to an extent of college football in the sense that most of the concepts and the crazy stuff you see isn't starting at the NFL level and trickling down. It's actually the other way. You see it go from high school to college and then to the pro level, right? So the NFL game is rooted in this worked for 15 years. Well, that cycle's turning over, right? You're starting to see, remember, five, six years ago, before Mahomes broke out, air raid quarterback was a bad thing. It was a tag you didn't want to have, right? Now people are looking for air raid quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield went number one overall without prototypical size, without prototypical athleticism, without the strongest arm in the world. Right, right, because previously a player with that profile, Drew Brees, which was Baker Mayfield's absolute ceiling, was the first pick in the second round. Right, and so as all of this changes, right, you're going to see teams start to take shots on guys with upside, right? You're going to see Zach Wilson drafted second overall. You're going to see more Josh Allen-type quarterbacks drafted high. Why? Because if you have a quarterback whose floor is high and whose ceiling isn't, that's the same for your team. If you have to carry your quarterback to a Super Bowl, your general manager has to do a whole lot more work, and you have to get everything right. Whereas you, we watched Mahomes, we watched Allen, we watched Stafford, we watched all of these dudes. If your quarterback has the ceiling of, holy shit, he did that and there's nothing we can do about it. Holy shit, he did it again. Oh my God, he did it a third time. What are you going to do? Change defensive coordinators in the middle of a game? Substitute personnel that you don't have? Like, What can you possibly do against any of these super freak quarterbacks? And that's why if you don't have one... This is the time to figure out how to get one. 
because I promise you, Kirk Cousins is not going to win you a Super Bowl. Derek Carr, unless that roster lifts him up, is not winning you a Super Bowl. It's why the Broncos traded for Russell Wilson. It's why the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson. And it's why Seattle this year has decided, fuck it, we're going to completely tank and either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud are going to take us to the promised land one day. It makes all the sense in the world. You just explained how and why Mac Jones fell to pick 15. Yeah. That the the pro-style pocket passer discount jumped the shark. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Zach Wilson, of all players, going at two overall. Yeah. What? This is a larger insight into how people think, right? There was, everybody saw it on Twitter, I think it was last week, two weeks ago, where they profiled a bunch of executives in the NFL, and Lamar Jackson was not in their top 10 quarterbacks. All that tells me is fundamentally, there's still a lot of the league that's tied to their thoughts on people in the draft, which is a problem. They're anchored. Yeah. Your draft analysis was whack. Sorry, if you missed on Lamar, you missed on Lamar. He is a one-of-one, you missed on him. So be it. I got Josh Allen, I missed on Justin Herbert. They're very similar profiles, hit one, missed the other. It's not a perfect science. But now that we have the data, now that we have advanced metrics telling us he is a top 10 passer, on top of all of the things that he can do running, to not have him in the top 10 quarterbacks is asinine. It doesn't make any sense, right? And similarly to that, People are now discounting what Mac Jones can do because they're so concerned with what he can't do. It's it's a double-edged sword. Look at that draft class. Look at the BYU never played anybody, never beat anybody, never did anything that impressive at the college level. Zach Wilson, you know, the Truman Show of quarterbacks, just the seas parting every time he takes off and runs, right? defensive backs falling down every time he throws deep, right? He goes number two, and the national champion, Alabama Golden Boy, goes number 15, the guy that Nick Saban is waving the flag for and can't seem to get anyone to return his calls to talk about. Yeah. I Look. And then after that, the next guy that goes is a Russian quarterback from a small school with one full season on his resume in college. Yeah, I the fixation on upside has absolutely jumped the shark in the NFL and there's going to be a a correction. Yeah, especially if Mac Jones is the best quarterback in that class again this year, it's going to further that correction. And the thing is, Matt, unless you have a Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence type guy where, okay, he's number one, we don't even think about it. I think you're going to start to see teams take big swings like. It doesn't make much sense to me because your quarterback ultimately is, yeah, you want your quarterback to have a high ceiling, right? Burrow's ceiling probably isn't as high as Trevor Lawrence's, but his floor is so high that the ceiling almost doesn't matter, right? And so when you get those kinds of quarterbacks, you have to take them, no matter what the case is. And I think Bill saw in Mac a floor that was high enough that no matter what his ceiling was, he was going to be a success in New England, right? Because replacing Tom Brady is impossible. It's utterly impossible. There will never be another top. Like, all right, all right. We're not going to get into replacing Tom Brady talk. Next team, Baltimore Ravens. 
<laughs> Baltimore Ravens, they drafted Kyle Fuller. They signed Calais Campbell. They were investing in the defense, which they needed to do. That was their big liability last year. How do you see the Ravens coming together this year? Because Vegas seems to think that they're going to be better than the Bengals. They have the widest range of outcomes to me for any team in the league. They could miss the playoffs and I wouldn't blink. They could win the Super Bowl and I wouldn't blink. It's all health-related, right? And it is with this team every single year. Every year, it seems some key piece of this team gets injured at the most inopportune moment. And Fuller, Campbell, Marcus Williams, all great additions. Loved their draft. Kyle Hamilton. What about Linderbaum? Linderbaum. What about Ajabo? David Ajabo. I remember we were in Vegas. We were we were drooling over this draft from the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, they did it again. One of the better drafting teams in the NFL, year in, year out. And then Travis Jones, a big another big body in the middle from UConn. Daniel Falele, the 380-pound tackle out of Minnesota, six foot eight. Right? How do you go that late? How do you go fourth round? What the hell? I have no I have no idea. And then here's my favorite part. And the Baltimore Ravens do this every fucking time. As soon as you give up on a Nick Saban defensive back, somehow he ends up in Baltimore. And Jalen Armour Davis, defensive back out of Alabama, in the fourth round, where does he end up? Baltimore, right? So the follow-up question to that is always, well, what's the health of this team going to look like? They've started to address it in a way that I haven't seen other teams address their health. They're stacking their strengths. They have a strength at DB. They drafted more DBs. They have strength at quarterback. They invested in Huntley. They invested in McSorley. They invested in McSorley. Invested in invested a draft pick. All right, let's not go crazy. What are you talking about? Let, let's not go crazy. Invested in McSorley. No one has ever spoken those <laughs> words together. <laughs> Okay, fine. We won't. We, we won't. We won't say they invested in McSorley. We'll say they have him. He's he's uh he's insurance. He should probably be selling insurance, but that's a different proposition. I don't. At no point does anyone think that McSorley is an asset for the Ravens. Get out of here. He exists. Okay, <laughs> he's a warm body, which is more they can than they can say for what they had at the end of last year, right? But they have multiple quarterbacks that can run the system. They have multiple running backs to fit the system. If Rashad Bateman, as we predict, has this breakout this year, they finally have a number one receiver. Mark Andrews is going to be Mark Andrews, which last year was arguably the best tight end in the league. They're going to run the ball with Lamar. They're going to run the ball with whoever's in the backfield. We think it's going to be Dobbins to start the year, but, I mean, who knows? Coming off of an injury, we'll see how that goes. The question with this team, as it is every year, is what does their health look like? And that's why I completely refuse to put any money down on the Ravens to do anything this year because they could win the Super Bowl or their entire team could be on IR by week five. Like there, There's such a wide range of outcomes here for the Ravens, and I love the team. I love the way that it's built. I love the quarterback. I love the way that they've gone about building out the backfield itself. My problem is always with this team going to be who's there when it's week 17, right? And, and it's the problem that we've had with the Chargers year after year. The Baltimore Ravens have a similar problem. Do you have enough warm bodies to actually make a run at the end of the year? And for me, this year is the year for Baltimore where if I'm Lamar, I would tell them, pay me now. Because this year is the year where this is the last year that they're going to get that discount on him as their quarterback, right? And he knows it. 
he's well aware. He's not, he's not not he's a very intelligent dude. He's aware that this is the last year that they're going to get this level of talent around him, especially on the defensive side. They're not going to be able to afford all these dudes. At this point for Baltimore, go all in. Do what Cleveland did, do what Baltimore or do what Buffalo's doing, do what Cincinnati's doing. Just go for it. Because if you are the healthiest team at the end of the year, which we've shown over time, injury luck tends to swing one way and then back the other. If this is your year to stay healthy, that window's open. And I'm looking at the schedule on the draft kit. Uh, I'm pretty excited about the schedule because they had the, uh, was it last place they finished in the division last year? So with the last place schedule, they get the Giants. They cross against the Giants with an extra NFC crosser, and then they also get the Jaguars. Unfortunately, the Broncos also finished last, and so they have to face the Broncos. But it's the Broncos yeah. at home. So that one they get at home, and then they also cross against like the rest of this division, the NFC South. And think about the NFC South. That's the Saints. That's the Panthers. That's the Falcons. There's a lot of winnable games on this schedule. A yeah. lot. This is the answer as to why Vegas thinks the Ravens are going to win the AFC North. This is it. The schedule says it all. I'm seeing a lot of green on the draft kit. Yeah. Look, this year for Baltimore is not about winning the division. It's not about anything other than get to the playoffs and make it there with any semblance of health. Because if they've got healthy bodies at positions that they've paid up for, this team is scary as shit. They're stacked. I mean, we talked about this last year. Lamar Jackson, with you and me at running back, had them as the number one seed in the AFC through week 11 last year. Like, yeah, you look at it and you see that they finished last place in the division. Everybody else damn near finished at or near 500, right? Above or near 500. I mean, right? Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck if you're in the AFC. Like, it's just good luck. I mean, the bottom line is if you're looking at these futures bets on Caesars, you can't take the Chiefs at plus 600 to be the conference winner. You can't take the Bills. You can't take the Chargers. And you can't take the Broncos. You can't take anybody that's less than plus 1,000. It just doesn't make sense. How stacked with talent this division is, this conference is, this everything is. It's just... It's wow. And we, we have no idea what's going to happen. We have no idea which teams are going to have the most injuries. As of right now, the, the most important injury happened to the Buccaneers. They lost their center. They lost Jensen. And they don't have a, a, a top-line backup center. Most teams don't. And that center-quarterback relationship that Jensen had with Brady was special. And so already Brady is at a disadvantage but fortunately, Brady's in the NFC. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is like, hey, man, I lost Devontae Adams, so shut up. Matt, it's funny how everything Brady touches turns to gold. And there just so happens to be a guy that we talked about a little bit earlier that's sitting there at home waiting for a phone call. And that man is former Pro Bowl center J.C. Treader, just sitting at home doing nothing right now. And I guarantee you, the first call that Tom Brady made after he found out about his buddy Ryan was the JC. And somehow, some way, he's going to end up in Tampa, and we're going to forget all about this. It's all going to work out. It's going to work out for Tom. They still have some cap space. The Buccaneers 
are middle of the pack. They still have $10.6 million of cap space. So they've done an incredible job managing their cap space. Bravo. There you go. And look, when you save enough money in your cap to go out on the street and find someone the caliber of J.C. Treader to replace your now lost Pro Bowl center with another one, <laughs> yeah, that'll work. That'll work. That'll work. Pittsburgh's not going to work this year. No. <laughs> uh, we have the Mitchell Trubisky era. Uh, he's been running with the ones as expected. How long he's the starting quarterback? Unknown, right? What will the defense be? They were uh, absolutely shred-worthy last year, one of the worst teams against the run. Does that improve? Maybe, maybe not. They did sign Larry Okajobi. We love it. Okanjobi, he's a, a run stuffer, so they, they've tried to address the biggest weaknesses of the team. But this is a team in rebuild mode. Do you think that they're going to acknowledge that? Like, big, Let's say week eight, week nine, are they going to shed some some veterans, you think? I think it's possible that they start trading some dudes. Um, the guy from – so we'll run through the guys that they signed. Levi Wallace, love that. Mason Cole, James Daniels. Why do you love Levi Wallace? Because their, their backup corners were terrible last year. As soon as the, as soon as any, either of their starters got hurt, they were off. Well, their defense wasn't good last year. There was not anything like a steel curtain. What, what's, a, what's a very – what, aluminum curtain? A steel sieve? A, aluminum <laughs> curtain? Like aluminum foil curtain. It was an aluminum foil curtain. It was just, it just, you could crush it just with almost no effort. Yeah. And look, Mason Cole, James Daniels, they're not going to move the needle a ton, but they're better than what they had at backup center and guard. Miles Jack is, if nothing else, super athletic linebacker. What happened to him? I have no idea, man. What happened to Miles Jack? Remember Miles Jack? I have no idea. Sideline to sideline. <laughs> he was fun, though. What happened to you? He was so much fun. I don't know. He was also jacked. I loved his name. He's a jacked guy <laughs> named Jack. What a, what a shame. Is, did he? Is that is that what happens when you get drafted by Jacksonville? Yeah, I think so. I think that era of Jacksonville for sure. Woo! Poor guy. That defense that made that AFC Championship game. They shredded that in what two years? Jesus, that's a disaster. Uh, but George Pickens, we love. Right? I mean, it makes Claypool expendable. We've talked about that before. That's the guy I'm thinking. Yeah. Or or they're having some protracted negotiations with Deontay Johnson. It could be that Deontay Johnson is traded. Yes, Deontay Johnson is going to make money, but he's not going to get a top-of-the-market receiver contract from Pittsburgh. That's not how they operate. He should stay there, though. He should stay there. I, I, I think that Johnson and Pickett in the long run, I mean, what a, that could be... One of the best duos. I mean, you have you know a quintessential you know slot flanker in Deontay Johnson and a quintessential outside alpha, a clasher that can go up and get it, but also explosive in George Pickens. I I, I would love that. That would be ideal with Fryermuth down the seam. It, it would just be perfect. And then you could you could put Mr. Calvin Austin. There you go, fourth round pick. Right, you could have him running double moves and him in the gadget roll, the jet sweeps. I mean, it'd be perfect. Just gotta get Chase Claypool the hell out of town. That's the guy. I'm hoping he flashes. Yeah, and the other pick that I love from their draft, the other, the only other thing that I'll highlight, Demarvin Leal, the edge from A and M, who was going into this year a consensus top ten draft pick, and kind of played himself out of it. But the talent's still there. And Tomlin's still there. And if anybody can get it back out of him, what we saw two, three years ago, it's Mike Tomlin. So 
I love that pick, especially because of the fit in Pittsburgh. Um, we've seen them do this with edge rushers year after year after year, just like they do with wide receivers. It seems like no matter where they come from, they always have an outside backer that you've never heard of that's out there doing crazy shit. I mean, obviously now they have Watt and Hayward, so you know for a little bit that they, they haven't had to do that. But look, this is as solid a front office as there gets. This is as solid an organization as there gets. And I think they understand. It was time to pull the plug on Ben. They wanted to appease the fans, and so they brought in Trubisky. But ultimately, by week 9-10, this is going to be Kenny Pickett's team. And it's not good. It's it's not good. They're over-under win total on Caesars. Uh, seven and a half. Seven and a half. Now, there you have, you have to pay extra. It's minus 135 to take the under, as it should be. I would think it would be minus 185 to take that under. I mean, how has that under not been smashed more? That would be... The first thing I do, if I'm placing a bet somewhere in the AFC North, it would be the Pittsburgh Steelers under. I mean, everyone's like, well, you were wrong last year. You said that the Steelers were going to miss the playoffs. So they, they made the playoffs, the pot, pot father. They made they made it. They, they did technically make the playoffs. They, they limped into the playoffs with a negative point differential. And now they're going to have Trubisky going into Pickett with a – flawed roster up and down like a bottom five offensive line and a defense with a couple stars right in tj watt and minka fitzpatrick and sub talents everywhere else so they've got a, a just a sieve run defense and they can't shut down opposing wide receivers either it's not like they have lockdown corners so so you're telling me that there's gonna be wide running lanes and wide receivers running free and this is a, a team with a probable rookie quarterback that's going to find a way to somehow win eight games and go eight and nine? No way. No chance. No yeah. chance. But why? It's the same reason the Patriots always have a win total that is exorbitant. Same reason the Cowboys have a win total that's exorbitant every year, right? And the easiest underbet every year is... And uh, remember, Charles talked about this in the, uh, the show we did a couple weeks ago, talking about getting edge on the sports books and not just the sports books, but the sports books predicting what the public's going to do, always putting a premium on all those Cowboys bets. So going under on the Cowboys every year is always the safest move across all NFL betting, right? <laughs> True. Charles Ormsby told you that, and that's been that's been the case for a decade. And now you're starting to see that this here's a team with the brand equity buoying the line and it making no sense. Now the public has started to move in on this line, taking the under, but it hasn't been vigorous enough because there's oh, it's the Steelers and their front office focus on the right details and they always find a way and na 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 na. It's just not a good team. It's an incredibly difficult division. That's all you need to know, man. And I think a part of that premium, especially to take the under, is baked in on what they think Tomlin's going to be able to do oh, with Tomlin. with the talent that, okay. that, that that he's been given, right? Because, sure. I mean, like, historically speaking, he's elevated teams that probably shouldn't be very good to be league average. League average teams to playoff teams and one team that was pretty good to a Super Bowl. 
this team needs to beat the Jets at home. If they don't beat the Jets at home in week four, they could easily be staring down the barrel of an 0-8 start. At the Bengals, Patriots, at the Browns. Yes, it's Jacoby Brissett, but it's at the Browns. Jets, at the Bills, Buccaneers, at Miami, at Philadelphia. That is rough. What are we doing? That is rough. Seven and a half? <laughs> what? That is rough. <laughs> what? With Chicago Bears, Golden Boy, Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. Oof. I, I Yeah, I, I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing here, Matt. It's crazy. I, don't. I mean, it is an upgrade. Right, that's actually yeah. The the signature trend of the team insights on the Steelers is that it, it is addition by subtraction. Yeah, in that Ben Roethlisberger with his six point two yards per attempt and six point seven air yards per attempt and thirty percent deep ball completion percentage, it can't get any worse. Yeah, yeah, but it could get worse. The win total will get worse because. There's going to be regression to the mean with your negative point differential. You can't make the playoffs every year with a negative point differential. This would be tough. <laughs> and given this schedule. Yeah, I think the schedule is doing them dirty. Woof. Yeah. Woof. That, that first eight weeks is way, way worse than anything. Like, they literally, they probably can't throw Kenny Pickett out there until week nine. Right. And He's going to get killed. Then... Then they come back from their bye week, and they got to beat the Saints at home. Very possible. And then it's the Bengals. And then it's at the Colts. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Poor Pittsburgh, man. They finally get a few games at the end of the year where they can win at Atlanta, at Carolina. But guess what? Mitchell Trubisky's probably not going to be under center. You're probably going to have a rookie quarterback in those games. And who's to say you're even going to be the favorite with Kenny Pickett under center? That's a really interesting point, actually. Looking at like those late season games, in terms of who's going to be the favorite, like that w- that we are not confident that Pittsburgh is going to be a favorite against the Atlanta Falcons. We don't know. Is crazy. Kenny Pickett wasn't a top ten pick. That's insane. And he's sure as hell no Mac Jones. He was just the best quarterback in one of the worst quarterback classes of my lifetime. Yeah, he's the EJ Manual of this class. <laughs> And he's sure as hell no Mac Jones. He was just the best quarterback in one of the worst quarterback classes of my lifetime. Yeah. He's the EJ Manuel of this class. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I haven't heard that name in so long. Fuck it. That's the show. That's the show. We're going out on that. We, I looked at the time. We, we got to go out anyway. Yeah. That's too fucking... That's too fucking... There's nothing else to say about the goddamn Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> can we can we get your father-in-law? 
to call in one more time. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to have the father-in-law call in. That's going to be a great one. All right, all right. We're not going to get into replacing Tom Brady talk. If you missed on Lamar, you missed on Lamar. He is a one of one. You missed on him. So be it. Just turned the Chiefs offense into the off position. Until you get to Watson and suddenly the ceiling on that team explodes. What? They invested in Huntley. They invested in McSorley. They invested in McSorley. They invested in Huntley. They invested in McSorley. They invested in McSorley. They invested in Huntley. They invested in McSorley. They invested in McSorley. Invested in McSorley. No one has ever spoken those words together. (laughs) It was an aluminum foil curtain. It was just, it just, you could crush it just with almost no effort. They invested in McSorley. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck if you're in the AFC. They invested in McSorley. What are we doing? Seven and a half? Poor Pittsburgh, man. He's the EJ Manuel of this class. There's nothing else to say about the goddamn Pittsburgh Steelers. Deshaun Watson gives us the best chance to win football games. So knock it off with the run-first offense. They invested in McSorley. He was also jacked. I loved his name. He's a jacked guy named Jack. What a, what a shame. Is that, is that what happens when you get drafted by Jacksonville? There's nothing else to say about the goddamn Pittsburgh Steelers.